Welcome to Down to Wander with your host, Carrie Nelson, full-time traveler, life coach, former therapist, and all-around curious person. Are you down to wander with me? Hey, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode. This episode is a unique one. For those of you who listened to my first episode all about my upbringing, you know that I grew up with a father who was addicted to drugs and alcohol And due to that, I struggled a lot in life. My father and I were estranged for over 12 years until just this summer. This episode was recorded in October, and it's our first emotional talk since reuniting. I'm breaking our talk down into two parts. This part is where you get to understand my father through hearing his own personal story of his traumatic childhood and his history of addiction. For a long time, I was stuck in only seeing my father as my father and not a person with his own life story. Initially, this made it difficult for me to process my emotions and allow myself to heal and forgive. Because of this, it was important to me that his story be heard. Next week's episode, part two, includes both of our perspectives on our lives together, our estrangement, and our reunion. This podcast is sponsored by me and my business, Wandering Soul Life Coaching, where I provide both individual and couples coaching sessions. If you're struggling with family concerns, I can help. Sign up for your free consultation at wanderingsoullifecoaching.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, Dad. Hey. Is this really uncomfortable for you? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, this is going to be an interesting one. This is the first podcast where I honestly have kind of no idea where this one's going to go. So I'll preface it by saying a, a few things. So first, for those of you who listened to my first podcast episode, most of you know that I had been estranged from my dad for 12 years, and we reunited on 4th of July this year after 12 years of being apart, and... I think when we reunited, we didn't really talk about the past or anything. We just kind of catched up from where we've been during that time apart. So this is going to be our first discussion that might involve emotions. How are you feeling about that? Me? I'm not talking to anyone else. (laughs) Oh. Yeah, I'm I'm nervous with the microphone. I'm nervous that uh, I won't be pounding on the table. Yeah. So I guess we'll just let people know, you have pretty significant ADHD that was diagnosed later in life when you were in your 30s, and you fidget. So getting you to sit still and not have this microphone pick up everything, like you rubbing your tattoos and tapping the table, is going to be fun. Does that pick up? Yeah. (laughs) When I just went across my arm. Yeah, it's fine. Oh, I am screwed. (laughs) Just. You're fine. People don't care about the sounds. They're here for the conversation. Okay. So, you do you. So, uh, I guess I will give more detail. This could be some people's first time listening to my podcast, maybe. So, uh, growing up, you struggled with drug and alcohol addiction. And you and mom got divorced when I was like five or six. And then... We saw each other here and there, never had a custody agreement or anything. 
but saw each other here and there all the way up until I was like in my mid 20s. And then I was struggling pretty bad, got into therapy, asked you to come to therapy with me. You went to one session and it was too much for you at the time. And we'll go into more detail later. But because of that, I had to put up really hardcore boundaries and we didn't see each other for 12 years and really talk much for 12 years until 4th of July this year. And now we're here and we're going to, I don't know, I think I kind of want to hear your side of a lot of things, um, especially now that I am an adult. And I just kind of want to see what your life was like and how you viewed things and then talk about our relationship and just see what happens. Does that uh, sound like an okay plan? Yeah, in theory. (laughs) (laughs) In theory, yeah. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see what happens. So, again, I just just have lots of questions. Mm -hmm. So... From what I know, and we've talked like a little bit, um, so since we became estranged when I was like in my 20s, I don't think we ever had like major deep talks about like what your childhood was like. I knew some things, but I kind of felt like you were just too nervous maybe to talk about stuff with me. Do you feel that way or do you feel like I just didn't ask the questions or? I think it was just... Not asking the questions. So if I would have asked back then, you feel like you would have answered? Yeah. If you would have been asked and, you know, what was it like on the farm or, yeah. Okay. Well, then I'll do that now. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you did it before. I did a little bit. Okay. So you grew up one of... The oldest of four. The oldest of four. And then you had two stepbrothers, too. One that lived with us and one that... One that lived with his grandparents. Yeah. So you grew up on a farm with mom and stepdad. Yeah, but we moved around a lot before we moved to the farm. You were born in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, right? Central Pennsylvania? Yeah. And then moved out into like a rural area not too far away from Williamsport. Nine or ten. So you lived in Williamsport till you were ten? Yeah. All around Williamsport. We moved all the time. Why did you guys move all the time? I, I don't, I'm not really sure. I think Mom just wore out her welcome with a lot of people. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> Grandma and Grandpa. Like, Grandpa Bill and Grandma. When Were they married? Or were they just together? Your parents? No, they were married. When but, did they divorce? How old were you? I was two. Okay. And then when did Grandpa Wool come into the picture, which would be your stepdad? Nine or ten. Okay. So is that why you went out to the farm? Was that farm his? Well, it was bought for all of us. He said, he always said it was our farm to get us out of the city, to get us away from drugs. (laughs) Isn't that ironic? Yes, it is ironic. (laughs) So would you consider your childhood to be a rough childhood? At the time, it was like survival mode. It's just uh, that's the way it was. But what made it that way? Like, what was difficult? Well, because there was always using. My stepfather always used. What did he use? Alcohol and pot. He loved to gamble, too. So when he was winning, we were living pretty high on the hog. 
But when he was losing, we, we were living pretty low on the totem pole. It even got to a point where we didn't have no running hot water in the house. He sold the hot water heater for money. He was going to put it into the cook stove and 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 heat our water that way and but he never got around to it so we heated our water on the stove to take baths and poured it in the tub and that's how we that's how we bathed what kind of gambling was he doing because obviously like this is way before the internet and there's not casinos okay just poker meeting up with a bunch of different guys and playing poker he he would be gone sometimes for a week, two weeks at a time. When he was there and he was drinking, was he like an angry drunk or was he a happy drunk? We always walked on eggshells. I did. I, I, I really shouldn't speak for my brothers and sisters because everybody has their own take on it. But for me, I always walked on eggshells waiting for the shoe because he was always he was always loud and you know, he always yelled, and there was more yelling than there was hitting. Oh, there was hitting? Yeah. Like spanking, or was it like closed fists? Like what kind of... No, it was it was smack outside the head, or a boot in the butt, an ass, let's say ass. Yeah, you don't have to censor yeah, yourself. This, everybody, this is where I get the cursing and my inappropriate <laughs> sense of humor. It does not come from my mother, it comes... From this man. So, uh, yeah, if you don't like cursing, you might not want to listen to this. kick us in the ass, but if you walk through the room, you know, he mastered his his environment. He was the alpha, and he let you know it. So you would always be walking on eggshells around him, not wanting to make him mad for the shoe to drop, because you didn't want the shoe to drop. So was he pretty unpredictable, or could you, like, figure out no, what he would was really... No, un- he was unpredictable, and, and I remember I'd come down, we had one bathroom, and it was downstairs, and, you know, you had to go through the living room to get to the bathroom, and I remember you just tried to squeak like there was a corridor where you were safe, and you would try to squeak into that bathroom without being heard or or seen or acknowledged by him and hope that you didn't that you didn't do anything stupid on your way to the bathroom that would make him launch, that would make him go off. Looking back now, do you think that's all the alcohol, or do you think he was, like, struggling with mental health issues? He was really young. He was a lot younger than Mom, and he took us on. You know, he took on a already-made family, the stress of that. He always had back problems. He's always on pain medicine. Took pain medicine like it was going out of style. I mean, so I mean, knowing what you know now, do you think he was addicted to? Oh yeah, opiates too. Oh yes. Started out with Darvocets, and it progressed up to Oxycontins towards the end of his life. But he always had back problems and a short fuse, and he all you know, and the, the daily was getting was smoking pot. He quit drinking. He had years sober from alcohol. I mean, he had to quit drinking because 
my mom, you know, read him the riot act and said if he didn't quit drinking that she was leaving. So how old were you when he stopped drinking? Were you still a oh, kid I, or is no, that no, you was, were an adult? I was stationed in Germany. You were born, you were four, three, four years old. So when you were a kid growing up with him, was he ever like, when he was up, then... Was it like a great household to be in? Was he nice? Was he caring? Was he loving? Or even well, when he no, was... He, he was reserved with this really stoic. He didn't tell you he loved you. You know, it was always like, you know, the way he said that he loved you was, he'd say, because we called him dad. I mean, that's, I was always looking for a dad, you know, from the time I was two. And I finally got one, you know, and I was, so he was dad to me. Because I was always estranged from my biological father, you know. So he was dad, and I'd say, Dad, I love you. We're going to leave. And he'd be like, be damn careful going down off the mountain. That's that's the most he could, he could muster for I love you. I wanna... But I know from his family and the way they act, they're all like that. Even his dad was like that. His mom was like that. They're just like that. <laughs> so where was grandpa and when i say so just for clarification for everyone else i call your dad your biological dad grandpa and i call your stepdad grandpa wool who has since passed so we've been talking about grandpa wool but grandpa bill where was he was he just not in the picture at all at that time he, he was in the picture depend on who he was with his I don't know. You know, there's side to side, why it wasn't one. He was there sporadically, whether he chose to be or he didn't chose to be. It, it doesn't really matter at this point in my life, whether he chose to not be there or chose to be there and couldn't be there because of my mother. But when I was younger, I just hated him for leaving. I hated him for not being around. I mean, this hurts, but, uh, you know, but if somebody asked me about my father, I'd say he was dead. Because he just wasn't there. Yeah. And because I, and because I, I hated, I hated him for leaving. I hated him for not being around all the, a lot of people we knew had fathers and, you know, had that family and, and then didn't have it for years. I kind of regretted the fact that I had to be the man of the house. And my mom forced that on me from the time I was, my grand said, from the time I was old enough to walk, she would send me out to grand's house and get your grand and have her come down. You know, I was running, you know, I was doing that stuff at two and three years old, you know, and I always had to look out for my brothers and sisters and that made me resentful and very angry about the whole situation. This is really weird for me to hear because I can relate to it because I kind of feel that way too about my life. Not in the sense that I had to be the man, but the like just growing up way too quick. Okay, so Grandpa Bill wasn't around. Grandpa Wool was your dad from 10 on, but it was a tumultuous relationship sounds kind of like scary unstable so you got a dad but definitely didn't get cream of the crop in regards to a father like relationship 
No, yeah, emotionally. But I, I think when I look back on it, when I look back on it, and even during that time, he was hard on us, but he taught us working values. He bought the farm lock, stock, and barrel. Every one of us were on the same sheet of music. We didn't know what the fuck we was doing. And we had to learn. He had to learn to milk a cow. Then one of us had to learn how to milk a cow. Everybody had to milk a cow one time or another. And uh, we had to learn how to do hay. And we had to learn how to do all these things that come with a farm. And it was morning till night. Farm work is morning till night. You know, we had a... We had to milk the cow to get the milk, so we had milk. We had chickens. We had to go gather eggs. We had to feed the chickens. We had to feed the feed the cows, feed the steer. We always had a steer that we were raising for meat, you know, butchered during the fall, unless we had some off-brand like an Angus that took two years to get to where it needed to be. At the time, you know, it was a pain in the ass, but it gave us working values and that's what I hold on to most and what gives me the emotion of the man tried. He, he failed in a few different aspects, but he didn't fail in that aspect. You know, he taught us the hard way that you had to earn anything you got. We didn't get paid an allowance or anything like that. We'd have to do our work on our farm. And if we wanted to get paid, we'd have to go to the neighbor's farm and do hay for him in order to get money to get paid for it. And he would always say, what do you mean pay? You got something to eat, didn't you? You know, and that's how rough it was. You know, it was rough like that. It was like, yeah, you're eating, aren't you? That's your pay. You live here, that's that's it. So we knew that anything extra that we were going to have to get, we, we got early. Uh, as soon as I could go to work. I got a job at 13 with step. You could get step jobs if you were uh, younger. And from the time I was 13 until I was 18, I had a step job every summer to buy my own clothes. Then I didn't have to wear hand-me-downs or, or rummy sales clothes or crap. So I'm grateful for that today. So talking about Grandpa Wool, now on to your mom who I refer to as Grandma Wool, what was she like as a mom? Like, when you were really young till you were a teenager, what was she like in the house? When we were really young, she seemed to be all right. Uh, Like, was she loving, nurturing? uh, It was kind of cold, but it wasn't as cold as, as my stepfather. And I'm just saying that, to have a baseline... To talk about where a person is that way, you know, you had the extreme of that. Before you came into fiction, she always had problems keeping a man. So she was always, you know, all she had was us. And she acted like all I have is us, is us kids. So she treated us a lot better then than when she hooked up with Dave. But there was things going around, always going on in the background. Always. She was always a troublemaker. Like just stirring up drama? Stirring up drama with people. So people came in and out of her life and would be like, why don't we go see so-and-so? And then she'd come up with a, you know, excuse why, well, they 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 did this and they did that. But it was never she did anything, you know? So she was always burning bridges with people. 
For a lot of years, she gaslighted a bunch of us. Do you think she was mentally ill? Well, after Dad died and and the way she acted, and I, I had talked to her cousin, and I had talked to my aunt, and they both said that she was in special ed, special education. You know, but back then, it wasn't like a diagnosis. They they didn't give a diagnosis. They just threw you in the Ferdinand inappropriate but they threw you in the retard room and you was a retard and no matter what you had you just you you were in the retard room you're a retard right any kind of disability yeah any kind of disability so and she never graduated high school she quit school my aunt was the first one to graduate and she she got a ged because she quit school but she went back and she went and got her ged i was the first one in our family to graduate from high school so i know after i came into the picture there was always issues with grandma wool she was always like you said kind of starting drama and played the victim a lot and i mean i even felt that as a kid like i don't know there was just something different about her and maybe it was like you said you compare things right so she was just like nothing like mom's mom (laughs) like completely different and so it always felt like just like something was off so when you were a kid when did you start using and what did you first start using i started smoking pot how old were you i was 13 i remember we went to this party at Belt Buckle's house. Everybody back there had, then had nicknames. We went to Belt Buckle's house. And they had a little opening back in the woods, like a, a bonfire area. And uh, all of a sudden, all the adults ended up hanging out there. And the kids even my age were back in that woods. So I was like, you know, I don't want to be out here with the younger kids playing in a dirt pile with Tonka trucks and stuff. I'm going back there. And I sat there and they were... They're passing a joint around, and they'd hand it to me, and I'd and I'd hand it to the next person. I didn't smoke it, you know. But the other kid my age was was hitting on it whenever it went around, and then passing it to the adults, you know. And I kept on trying to go back there and be with them because I didn't want to be with the little kids. I wanted to be with the adults. I was thirteen years old, you know. And uh, they kept on telling me to leave because they didn't want me back there while they were using. So after we got home, Dave took me on a walk around the farm and showed me where all these pot plants were growing. That's a pot plant there. And I walked a little further, and down in the pasture, there was just little clumps of pot plants in different places. And then we went up to the shed, and we were in the shed, and he, he was rolling a joint, and he said, this is pot. I don't ever want you to smoke it. Well, two weeks later, I was smoking it because... You know, it's like that silly, corny commercial. Where'd you learn this from? I learned it from you, watching you. You know, like, Jewish kids have a rite of passage, you know? They have a bar mitzvah. You know, my rite of passage was, you know, going to manhood was starting to smoke pot. If you can't beat them, join them. And uh, that's how most of us kids ended up, all us boys anyways. Because we was like, you can't beat them, join them, you know? 
At least we knew that there was always going to be pot around the house. There might not be food around the house all the time. You know, there will always be coffee and pot (laughs) because he had to have his coffee and he had to have his pot. So all three boys, at least, smoked pot around the same age? Yeah, pretty close. Bob and I were a year apart and Cal and I were two years apart. So we were pretty close in age anyway. So once one started, uh, you know, pretty much, and it went on that way even to the even to the youngest stepbrother, which I have a lot of regrets about that. Uh, had a lot of regrets about that. I and mean, he's his own man today, and he chooses to do what he does. But I felt like I, uh, you know, I got high with him when he, when he was severely too young. But... Like I said, you know, that's what we did. That was the norm. I mean, that's just how it was. I, In fact, I remember talking to other kids, and I, I was like, your mom and dad don't get high? And we're like, no. Well, there's something wrong with you. You know what I mean? Because the norm was that adults got high. Every adult I knew got high. You know, everybody that came to the house usually got high. There were some people that came that didn't. You kind of felt it out, and you would be able to tell if they did or didn't. Yeah. Once you started for that first time when you were 13, did it turn into just a regular occurrence? Oh, I tried to smoke as much as I could. Tried to get high every day. So, first time you got high, I guess, fun question. Did you actually get high the first time? Because a lot of people don't get high the first time. (laughs) Okay, so second time you got high... When you got high for the first time, did you feel an escape from, like, everything you were dealing with? Like, what was the high like for you? It was just a different feeling, and I liked it. That's what it was like for me. It was just different. It wasn't like an escape. It became escape later. It became a manner of survival to be high because there was so much going on. There was so much conflict and strife and always something going on answer this question briefly because i'm going to come back because there's something else on my mind because i also like you probably have some add so if i don't stay on track we're we're fucked but how old were you when you first started drinking oh i started drinking before i was 21 because i bugged her and bugged her and bugged her until she would let us drink okay so that was later yeah probably ninth grade so not too long after then, because ninth grade would be 14, 15? Yeah, not too long after. Okay. So I have a question. You told me a story before about having to protect your siblings from a neighbor. Yeah, that sucked. How old were you when that happened? I was 16 when that happened. Can you tell me what happened? Well, the old man always rented to somebody that used in the little house. And he was abusive. He he beat his wife. And mom, she went down and, you know, she had to put her nose in it. She was trying to get him to stay away from his wife. And he pushed her into the cupboard, busted her eye open. And my sister, she was down there causing trouble. They both caused trouble all the time, my mom and my sister. So they were down there. You know, getting into into somebody else's business as usual, and uh, my sister come running up and said, "Roger hurt mom." 
Roger busted Mom's eye. So me and Bob went running down. Bob grabbed, uh, he had some homemade, <laughs> homemade weapons that he, he had made. And it's, you know, some medieval looking bullshit. And he grabbed it and we, we ran down and, and she yelled down, don't come up here. He's got a gun. Don't come up the steps. But we went up the steps anyway to get mom out of there. And we got mom out of there. The lady and mom took off in the car to go to the hospital to get mom's eye fixed. And we were stuck there alone. Well, he decided to retaliate and come up the hill with a gun. So we're in the house. Through the window, we seen him come up the path with a gun. So I had all the kids get back in as far away from the windows and into the corner where there wasn't no window in the house and stay there and loaded up my shotgun, my little 410, stood at the bar island, you call it these days, and I stood at that island with my gun trained on the door, and if he come in, I knew I would have to shoot him. Well, needless to say, that that's not a good feeling, <laughs> you know? And at 16. And at 16, to wrap your head around it, and a, and a head that was half the time full of drugs. It, it wasn't too cool. But he busted out the window and yelled in, I'm going to fucking kill you. I'm going to kill all of you. And my brother Bob jumped out the window. And he ran to the neighbor's house to call the cops. But I was stuck with the kids. So then me and my youngest brother, Cal, were at the... Uh, island with two shotguns in case he came in that we would have to shoot him well after it was all said and done the cops came you know and everything so he never shot he was just threatening yeah and the old man was gone because he was out drinking so he wasn't there to protect us you know i felt some kind of way about that for sure you know because i shouldn't have had to be you know me having to be older than than what the what the fuck I was, I, I resented my brothers and sisters because, you know, because I had to be in them fucking spots all the fucking time, you know, to babysit. It's funny because the job I just retired from it's just, it was the same thing, babysitting people. At a state correctional facility. At a state correctional facility, yeah, it's crazy. But I resented him for I resented him for not being there, and I remember having a fight with him and talking to him just like an adult. Well, if you would have, and then his buddy was like, "Well, if I would have been here, I'd have, I'd have hog tied him on I would have hog tied him on the porch." I said he had a gun, and it, and he was at the door. What what don't you understand about that? We're kids. What are we going to fucking tie him up? You know, would end up getting shot. Needless to say, the money was more important than throwing him out of that house. So for years, I had to live with Rogers coming. I would go to bed, and because there wasn't, there was never night lights. Once you turn, once you went upstairs and turned off the bedroom light, there wasn't no light until you turned on the bathroom light in the downstairs. And I would hear footsteps. Some nights it was all right. I'd go, I'd go right to sleep. But some nights I would lay there and I would try even not to breathe because I would hear these, hear footsteps. And I could hear them coming closer and closer. And I would, 
I remember I would just stop myself from breathing and just lay there. And I slept with a knife under me, my pillow, you know, on nights like that. I always had a knife close or something to protect myself. And it was that way for years, all the, all the way through my using. And until I got, even when I got married, on the day you were born, your mom was in the hospital having you, and I came home by myself, and that paranoia just came over me, and I stuck a knife under the pillow. And when your mom came home, day after, or two days later, she laid down in bed and put her hand underneath her pillow, and, and there was a knife under there. And she was like, what is this under here for? And I just blew it off. I was like, nothing, I just... I never talked about it with nobody. I never... Do you acknowledge that you had PTSD from that? Like, do you get that now? Well, today I know. Because I can't stand... I can't stand surprises. I, I can't stand anybody surprising me. I have to know, you know, know things. I, I can't be surprised. Well, and on top of that, there was abuse that went on at the farm whether you were involved in it or not, right? There was also, we don't have to go into details, but with siblings, there was also yeah. abuse. Yeah. Were but, you ever in, involved in any of no. the abuse? I didn't even know anything about it. I was like, I remember my mom bringing it up about sibling to sibling, and, and I'm like, you're so full of shit. That never happened, you know? And... Then I talked to my brother, but I didn't talk to my brother until years later. I was like, you know, she she always said that Todd said this or whatever, and and Kel said, Bill, it happened, man. I was, I was there. I it's true, and I'm like, oh, well, I'm glad that I didn't know, because what you don't know sometimes can't hurt you. <laughs> Well, there's a lot that you did know, though, not with that abuse, but there was just a lot of really difficult stuff that you guys dealt with. And yeah. there's a crap ton of trauma. So it makes sense that pot made you feel pretty good. And then alcohol, like, what was your relationship with alcohol when you were super young? Were you trying to get your hands on it all the time once you started? Yeah, whenever we could steal some or... There was enough around where we could drink. I mean, the old man got a couple barrels of hard cider, and then he didn't want to leave his friends while they were while they were all smoking pot. He'd be like, he'd send me or Bob down into the basement to get the hard cider out of the barrel. And there was a siphon hose, and it was doing like doing bong shots because you'd drink it until you know because you, you get a good drinking a good drinking a good drink and then put it into the jug and fill it up and bring it back up so you get a pretty good charge every time you went down to get it even dave was like you know something every time them kids go down there to get that to get that hard cider they come back up with a hell of a smile on their face <laughs> so he knew but probably thought that was just you kind of becoming men i'm assuming yeah, that mentality that's, yeah that's what i'm pretty sure that, I think that's pretty sure what the whole thing was about. I got busted for underage drinking in Williamsport. And he was like, why in the hell didn't you stay on the damn mountain and drink here at home? You know, so from that point on, after I after I got busted for underage drinking, they were like, 
As long as you stay in the mountain, you know what he was saying was, as long as you stay on the mountain, you can do what the hell ever you want. And I ran, I went inside myself smoking pot. I would, uh, I would stay away from the kids because I resented them, my brothers and sisters, because I was tired of babysitting. Even if mom and dad weren't there and I was supposed to be babysitting them, I was off in my room drawing or I always kept myself busy doing something. Stayed to myself. They went and made friends, other kids around, and I, I just never. We moved around so much that I never really need that. In, in my life today, I really don't. I really don't feel I need that. I don't need to be up friends' asses, you know. If I'm friends with somebody, I don't need to see them every damn day. I don't need to. I don't need to monopolize their time. A lot of times, people force themselves on me, and then I allow them in. But I'm not really, I don't really search out that. I really don't search out to make friends. And if they keep on bugging, if they keep on bugging me, you know. You'll let them in a little. Yeah. So drink and smoked pot. Did you do any other drugs before 18? Oh, yeah. Speed, coke, crank, shot crank. What's crank? A meth. Okay. Shot meth at 18. And what's... Shot it it a few times. And, uh... What other thing did you say? Speed. What's speed? We don't use these terms anymore. Diet pills. They used to be prescribed to people back in the day. You know, there'd be yellow jackets, there'd be uh, robin eggs, there'd be... But they were amphetamines, right? Yeah, amphetamines, yeah. Which makes sense. Some of them were and some of them weren't. Some were some downers. Some were real and some were, some were knockoff ephedrine. Sometimes you got a real one and sometimes you, sometimes, most of the time, most of the time I think you got ephedrine. It's interesting then because you, so you were just like taking your adrenals on a roller coaster because you were doing depressants and stimulants. Yeah. I used the uppers to keep me going so I could drink more and smoke pot more, you know, so I could party longer. I used the damn feed to stay up so I could get the rest of it done. That's just how it was. You know, I was a typical garbage head. Whoever I was hanging around with, whatever they were doing, I was lucky. The furthest I went into it was... I had friends that were, uh, well, associates, I didn't have friends. I had associates shooting crank. So, when in Rome, do what the Romans do. So, I was a typical garbage head. This is the drug we found, this is the drug we do. You know, so if I couldn't find my drug of choice, which was a good pot and a little acid, maybe. But if it, you didn't have that, it would be like, well, what do you got? There was stuff that I took that I didn't even know what the hell it was. I was like, what's it do? Don't worry about it. Just take it. Did you ever do heroin? No, but I did Placidils. What is Placidil? Well, I was told it was a horse tranquilizer, the the one that I took. It was a big old gel capsule. It looked the size of what you put in a horse. And I took it. I remember I drank two beers after I took it. And I remember looking at the clock, and it was quarter after nine. And I don't remember anything until the next day. They said that I was 
hitting on the guy's wife, that I was trying to screw with the stereo, that I was falling all over the place. I don't remember nothing. I blacked out. I never wanted to be that down ever again. I made a point that I was going to do speed from then on because I did not like what the hell that did to me. I woke up and my pants were pissed. My back was hurting. I was in the bathroom and they pushed me into the tub and I fell into the tub and wrenched my back. They threw me in a damn bunk bed. When I woke up in the morning, I, I went to sit up, not knowing I was in a, in a bunk bed, a little fucking miniature one, a kid's bunk bed. And I went to sit up and hit my head on the top of the bunk bed. And I was like, how in the fuck I get here? Like, were you using all of those kinds of things before age 20? Yeah. So... No wonder your brain's a little rotten sometimes. No, no, <laughs> like it was all before your brain was developed. You were well, maybe at twenty-one the placidals, I think. Cause well, I, still, your brain's not I, fully developed before twenty-five. Okay. Well, yeah, I was fucked. <laughs> so now this is where it's going to get interesting for me, and um, I guess I'm going to warn people in the beginning of this podcast. This is going to go for a long time because I have lots of questions, and we're almost an hour in already. Um, I know. See, time flies when you're having fun and telling stories. Okay, so you're drinking, using drugs, and just trying to be high most of the time to kind of deal with everything that was going on and the craziness of your life. Mm -hmm. So really dealing with your trauma through use. And then you start working at... Wendy's Undies, <laughs> which was a little kid underwear uh, warehouse. No, they, they made they they made <laughs> adult underwear. Well, yeah, they made adult underwear. They made kids underwear. They made women's underwear. Oh, women um, and girls underwear. I mean, I just figured with well, the, the name. way you said it, it was like, yeah, my dad worked at a place where they made kids <laughs> panties and he sniffed them or something. <laughs> no, it, it, it's. It was, no, it, I just figured with the name Wendy's Undies, it sounds like a kid well, yeah, brand, no, and I knew that, I got some from there. Well, yeah, you did, because yeah, for sure you got some there. Cause they, okay, so you start working for this this company, and you get introduced to this woman named Donna, mm-hmm. who is my mother. What do you remember about that time? Like, you start working... Do you ha- do you remember like the first time you met her or how you were introduced or do you remember the we, early early? We worked together and we become friends. There were you high older, at work? There was an older yeah, oh yeah. I didn't do nothing less at a time. But were you like a functional? Yeah. So you were functional. Yeah. Okay. So you meet Donna, who is like mom's wholesome as well, fuck. I, yeah, I know. I knew that. I always wanted a woman that was wholesome that didn't use. I, I didn't want no woman that used. I, I don't know if it was because I didn't want competition for my drugs or I wanted a good girl. I knew she was a good girl. And we became friends, and then all of a sudden we went out. I didn't know how to act. Going through the paces of dating, but, you know, it wasn't a kiss goodnight or anything else after a date. And then she thought that her... I didn't like her, and I was like, well, I just didn't know. Did you date before her, or were you just, like, flinging it around? I just hooked up and flinged it around. 
I didn't even care. I remember in high school being so low self-esteem that uh, if a girl said she liked me, there's something fucking wrong with her, and I need to stay the hell away from her. Because if she liked me, there's something wrong with her. She's fucked up. Yeah, I think mom's issue. I would just say that I don't think mom felt really good about herself. And that's, no, no, I'm not. Oh, I know. I know uh, you were not saying far that. As, no, I. I don't know how the hell you I, snagged her. I don't know either. But, and she ended up getting pregnant before we got married with you. We went on a trip. She hadn't yet told your grandma and grandpa. And we went to see a concert. We went to see Ozzy. Ozzy Osbourne. She told me that she got high from the fumes at the concert and fell asleep. Yeah. And then we came back. And before she took me home, we had to stop and tell your grandparents. I want to back up. What was your reaction when she told you? That she was pregnant. Yeah. I was like, well, of course I was going to get married because I, I loved her and I, we were going to have a baby. How long were you guys dating before you knocked her up? Oh, I don't know. Six months, maybe more. Might have been a year. So you're using, you're like high all the time. There wasn't any part of you that was like, fuck, I'm not ready for this kid. Oh, yeah. I was scared to death. But you never... It just made me get high all the more. You know, once your mom got pregnant, I didn't get high in front of her. I made her a promise that I would quit before you were born. And, uh... At that time, did she just think it was pot, or did she know you were using more than that? No, because at that time, it was pretty much... It was pretty, you know, I wasn't hanging around with the guys as much, so it, was, it wasn't much more than pot. Maybe with a little speed. I, did I drop any? No, I didn't drop any acid. But it was drinking it every weekend. There must have been some alcohol at the house because I remember your grandmother saying, you know, hey, the beer cans out there, you need, you know, you need to get them away from the front door and keep up the appearances. You don't, don't do that. It looks trashy but that didn't didn't work so you never once wanted to get rid of me like you didn't even think about abortion no no fuck no so did you honestly believe that you were gonna stop using for me yeah i honestly believe i could even though i couldn't i was always sneaking then from that time on i was sneaking and it wasn't very long after that that i went into service yeah, did you do that because you were like, I have to get my shit together, and you thought that was the way of doing I wanted, it? I needed more money for the family. I needed more money because you were there, you were born, and fanny factory money wasn't working. I needed to do something for a career. You know, when I went in the Army, I thought I was going to stay in there for 20 years. And I thought, this is a way to stop using drugs. With the fear of the piss test, I stayed away from that for a long time. So you were clean for a little bit to pass the test? I smoked the night before. <laughs> but passed? But somehow passed because they let me in. wasn't too long after you were born that I joined our service. Yeah, because we moved to Germany when I was only like six months or so. Yeah. Okay, so I'm born. I'm in the picture. I'm a crying baby. You yeah. don't get much sleep. I was freaking adorable, though. Mm-hmm, it was. 
once I was born where you were like, oh shit, like there's no way I can maintain sobriety because, I mean, that's really stressful. I remember being scared to hold you, didn't thought I'd break you, changing you. I remember the first, you know, the first night you cried and cried and cried and I was so self-centered. I was like telling your mom, can't you shut her up? I got to work tomorrow. You know, I wasn't even thinking about what she was going through or what you were going through. You know, like, what's, you know, what's wrong with that baby? That's what babies do. And I'm like, well, I got to go to fucking work tomorrow. You so know? did you help out much in the early days or did you let her do most of it? I let her do most of it. Yeah. So you thought, so you joined the military. You were in the army. We mm-hmm. got stationed in Germany. Were drugs super prevalent, like on base? Did you have access to a lot of drugs or no, alcohol? I wasn't, I wasn't or? looking for drugs. There was alcohol all over the place, so that's what you do. When you're in the service, you drink. When you're off, you drink. That's all there is to it. So it was considered normal. Yeah, everybody drank. If you didn't drink, you were, you know, you were an outsider, at least in our unit. I don't know what other units are like, but I, I know in our unit, there wasn't very many people that didn't drink. So when we were in Germany, did you come home every night from work? Yeah, it was a regular job. I have to say, because I stopped drinking when you you and your mom came to Germany. I was drinking profusely before you came. As soon as you got there, I stopped because I was going to make a go of it. And they had a, and I had a hell of a time trying to convince the CEO to let me bring you and your mom over. As soon as you, you and your mom got there, I was, I was done. For how long? Until I sent you guys back early to go home and set up a house in Pennsylvania because I was, I was going to Fort Dix. So I sent you and your mom back early, like six months early, to set up a house and wait for me to be able to get stationed in and that was all. That was all drug plot. There was a couple guys that had some hash, and we were doing some hash. And I think that might have opened the door to all this scheming towards the end. And then I had a few beers with somebody, and then I started scheming. It was like, I'm going to send her back early, so we don't have to piss around with all this military stuff, getting stuff shipped. She can go. Stay at your mom's, save some money. I was like, we're going to save some money. We didn't save no money because whenever I got my check, I would send money home, but it should have been more. I kept more money than I was supposed to, to drink. And I drank and I drank and I drank. But I started drinking whiskey too. I started drinking, I always carried a flask. That was the worst alcoholic episodes I've had in my life, really. Because I was carrying a pint around all the time. When I wasn't in uniform, I had a pint on me all the time. And I would go in the bathroom at the bar in Germany, and I would hit that Jim Beam flask so I could get extra bang for my buck so I didn't have to buy as much as much booze at the bar because I was carrying my own. But you can't let anybody know you're doing that in a bar. <laughs> so at that time... And when I ask these questions, there's no judgment because I really have forgiving, forgiven you for really everything. But 
at that point, were you just, like, super selfish and be like, okay, they're finally gone, so now I can use? Or did you feel bad at that time about what? I couldn't feel bad because I was so so fucked up. So you were just numbing yourself. So it was like, like, you were somewhere, I knew you and your mom were somewhere safe, so I could just, like, no response. (laughs) Like, I, I... I became a single man, and I think that's what led to your mom and I's breakup, too, because from that point on, I, it was like I was a married man, but I was a single man, too. Yeah, did I'm going to ask a hard question. Did did you cheat on mom while you were in Germany? Can I plead the fifth? But then that just tells you something, don't it? But I don't want your mom to ever... It was never because of her. No. No, always my selfish, selfishness. All of my cheating was because of my selfishness and and. It's an addiction. Yeah, it was. You know, it was all about. I never could handle. I never could handle. I didn't know how to be friends with a woman, and I would always be nice to women and. I would flirt myself into a spot where I had to put up or shut up. And whether I was married or not, I was going to put up or shut up because I didn't want to be called gay, you know what I mean? I'm not proud of any of that. And I I never... I I hurt your mom, and I I don't ever want to hurt her any more than what she's already been hurt by me, is what I feel like. I know, but I also think, like, we talked before we started recording of... So, like, the behaviors are known, but knowing that you regret them and knowing why you did it and knowing that it had nothing to do with her or I is huge. I mean, she knows the behaviors. I know the behaviors. But knowing that it had nothing to do with us and that it wasn't our fault. No, it was never your mom's fault, you know, and I would do all kinds of st- stupid shit to try to appease my guilt, and uh, it's just crazy. And, uh, you know, all this stuff, it isn't the uncomfortable stuff, but the uncomfortable stuff is what you have to go through in order to get where you need to be. And And if you don't, I know from being around and being clean as long as I have in a 12-step program, I know that if I don't, if I didn't learn how to live with my regrets and not use, I would never be clean. I would never be clean. I'd never be clean today. I never, certainly would not be clean almost 27 years. It would be 28, February 18th. I would not be clean today. That don't mean that they don't still hurt. It just means that I just don't do that for today. I haven't done it. I haven't done it in forever since I've been clean. I thought I was cursed when I got clean and I would never have somebody because I didn't know how to be fucking faithful. I didn't even know how to be faithful even on even women that I cheated on. I cheated on them and I lied to her just like I lied to the first one. And it just went on and on and on. Sometimes I think that the substitution was sex for the pot. Well, it's a drug. It's but, dopamine. I know, but the, but like the drinking still continued, but I was filling the other half of, 
of what I wasn't getting, you know, for fight was sex. And then the war broke out, and then I started. And I didn't care if I got caught hot on a piss test. I I started using again. I started. A I garbage st- head again? No, I just, yeah, pretty much, because I, because I would take anything that anybody had. Because I didn't care to, if I was going to get kicked out or not. But I I was buying fought and I did some ecstasy, and that shit seemed to break my fucking brain. That was some wild-ass fucking shit. So now we're getting to the part where I start to have memories. And this is where today's episode ends. I hope you've enjoyed listening thus far. Tune in next Monday for part two where we discuss our perspectives on our lives together, our estrangement, and our reunion. Wander with you soon. Mm-hmm.